My name is Warren Brosia, one of the ministers here at Berlin Christian Church. We're glad that you're here with us today to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to give you a couple uh, announcements, and then we're going to get into the, the, the message for today. Uh, two, two things related to next Sunday, actually, is our mission trip to Ninos de Mexico next summer, August 12 to 19. Uh, next uh, Sunday is our deadline to sign up, so if you feel like God wants you to go to Mexico, uh, you've got a week to decide that, and uh, come to our meeting and get our paperwork uh, filled out, so that'll be uh, next Sunday uh, for that meeting, and then also uh, next Sunday we'll have our leadership affirmation, and on your paper bulletin you can find out some more information, but I'm going to be praying for our leaders uh, and for those that will be uh, up uh, for affirmation for elders, Joe McKinn, for Deacon, John Babs, and Tony Peacher. So please be praying for our leadership of the church. Uh, that's important, important. As the leadership of the church goes, so goes the church. And uh, we want our leaders to be supported. And we want to be prayerfully considering that. So thank you for, for that opportunity as well. So let me pray, and then we'll get into God's word for us today. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Uh, this privilege and freedom that we have to gather uh, for those who are in this room and for those who are joining online or listening on the phones. Uh, we thank you for this connection that we are able to make uh, with you, Jesus, through the word. So we ask that you would open our eyes to your word. Holy Spirit, bring conviction. Remove any ba uh, barriers or obstacles so that we can see you clearly. Lord, help us to make more and better followers of you, Jesus. Empower our witness so we can bless our neighbors and the nations with truth, love, and grace. Help us, we pray. Amen. I'm excited to take you on a journey the next few weeks through this letter from Paul to the church of, are you ready to, for Thessalonica? It's such a hard word to say. And it's been forever since I've spent a lot of time in this beautiful letter. And so I want to ask you to go ahead and find Thessalonians, but I also want to ask you to go to Acts chapter 17. And can I just say right now, we're just going to read a lot of Bible today. Is that okay if we just read some Bible at church? I just want to unpack and give us a foundation. The goal for this sermon series through this letter of 1 Thessalonians is that this letter has a lot of focus on the second coming of Jesus. And so as we are preparing to celebrate Christmas, which we generally would say was his first coming, I want us to be thinking about his second coming as well, because in some ways we are eagerly anticipating his second coming, much like we are eagerly anticipating celebrating his first coming at Christmas. Are you following me? That's the method to, to the messages this month, is that each of these chapters in 1 Thessalonians has, has, a, has a word or a, a phrase that highlights Jesus is coming back. And so I think it's really important for us to remember that we are living in this season between Christmas, his first coming, and his second coming. Are you following me? And so that's where we're going to spend our time today and the next few weeks through, through Christmas is looking at this letter that Paul wrote. In fact, some people think it's his very first letter he wrote. So it's pretty cool. This was written while the book of Acts was still being lived out. So we have early accounts of a Christian leader writing to an early church how to follow Jesus. 
And so I want to take you to Acts chapter 17, because that's where we find our foundation here. Acts chapter 17, it's on page 899 in the Pew Bible in front of you, if you'd like to follow along. And so can I just give you, again, I just want to teach some Bible today. The, the way that we read these New Testament letters, like Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Thessalonians and Romans, all of these find their history in Acts. And so you've got to kind of find out what was happening when this church got started, why Paul is writing to this church. So we're going to read where Paul first encounters this group that's going to be a church in Thessalonica. Ready? Let's go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We'll read verses 1 through 10. When Paul and his companions, so Paul is this uh, person who turned from being a persecutor of Christians to being a follower of Jesus, planting churches and going anywhere, everywhere telling people about Jesus. And so he's on one of these mission trips, and he's going through these two places called Amphipolis and Apollonia. They come to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. This was Paul's plan. He would always find a group of believers if there was a synagogue, a Jewish worship gathering, and he would get up and he would teach from their Bible, the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, and he would explain to them, this king you're waiting for is Jesus. So that was his plan. He was there for three weekends. We're going to spend four, five weekends looking at this letter to Thessalonica. So he's there for three Sabbath days. Verse 3, explaining and proving that the Messiah or the King, the special anointed one, had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So this is off to a good, good start. We're, he's preaching the good news. You've got both Jewish people and Greeks coming. You've got prominent ladies. So he's, he's, he's getting both, both you know, male and female. He's, he's reaching across both you know, ethnic backgrounds of Jew and Gentile. This is off to a good... We would say this is a great ministry. This is really, really good. Verse 5. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials." These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying, There is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the other, others post bond and let them go. Verse 10, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. 
So it's off to a good start. Good people, people are coming, following Jesus, but then there's some others that are jealous and they round up some bad characters from the marketplace and they're trying to find Paul and his companions. They don't find him, so they find his host, Jason, who's welcomed them into his home. And they drag them in front of the city magistrate people, the leaders, and they start accusing them. How would you like it? You could, Paul, Jason could say, hey, I just opened my house to him. But these appear to be new Christians and the other believers, and they're caught in the crosshairs of these jealous people. This is how this church starts. And they had to sneak Paul and Silas out of town under the cover of darkness. Off to a good start, only there three weekends, and then they're gone. Paul goes on to Berea, which is the next town up the way. Verse 11, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And then you skip down to verse 13, But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word at God at Berea, just up the road, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. So this group of Thessalonians, there's a group that doesn't like Paul. And they don't like this message about Jesus as the king, so much so that they're willing to travel up the next road to run him out of that town. Paul and, uh, Silas and Timothy stay put. Paul goes on to Athens and preach. He eventually gets into Corinth and later... Silas and Timothy come to Paul in Corinth. This is in Acts chapter 18. And it could be in this visit where Silas and Timothy tell Paul, here's how things are going in Thessalonica. And it could be there in Corinth, around Acts 18 timeline, where Paul picks up a pen and starts to write this letter to this little young church that he spent three weekends with. Are you ready for 1 Thessalonians? Here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. It's on page 956, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible. 956. Here is Paul's letter to this beloved church. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. In the first century, when you'd write a letter, you would write who's the author first. So this is, it's nice, you know, because when we would write letters, do you remember doing that? <laughs> I still want to encourage you to do that. It's really a good habit. You know, we always would, you know, date, dear so-and-so, then you have to flip it over to the back and find out, you know, sincerely or love or however you, and then you sign it. In the first century, you, you signed your letter right at the very first, which was nice. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing to this church. It is in God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. And then a very common greeting that are in many letters, grace and peace to you. That's how he starts this letter. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. So here's the preacher, right into his church, thankful for you, praying for you. Very common. He would write a prayer of thanksgiving with most of his letters. 
In fact, this letter in Thessalonians is linked together, kind of like our little paper chains of Thanksgiving. Can I just say thank you for participating? Isn't it cool just to look at all of those around the room? We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? And so in some ways, Paul is writing his little thank you chain. I thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. And he's going to structure this letter with three different prayers that he's going to link together. One of them's right here. We're getting ready to read chapter one. There's going to be another one in chapter three, and then at the very end in chapter five. But there are three prayers that he's going to link together in this letter. Here's this prayer. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. We know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. It's First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Here's the lesson for today. Jesus rescues us from God's wrath. It's, very, it's, in, the, it's in the text, verse 10. Jesus rescues us from God's wrath, from the coming wrath. And we have this beautiful prayer in verse 3 where he says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that, verse 3? Faith, love, hope. You ever heard that before? You, know, you have adopted children in your home or maybe your family members or friends have, have adopted someone and it's just a sweet, special day. And this is, uh, you know, it's a special, you get all dressed up and you go to the courthouse and there's the judge and there's some other legal people and, and the gal or guy over there taking the notes and it's just a really special day and the judge will ask the, the parent or parents, you know, are you recognize, realize what's happening and will you love this child like you love your own? And this child, they say something like, this child will be like if it was naturally born to you. They'll be your forever family. It's just a beautiful day. Paul is writing to this church and he says, you're loved by God, you are chosen by God. God chose you and brought you into his forever family. And so there's a beautiful moment when that child is brought into your home. I just want to say thanks to Mallory and family. She let me share these pictures with you all today. But it's just a beautiful moment to say, 
God's chosen you. So I want to remind you, you're loved by God. He has chosen you. I hope you can feel that love from our Father today. He rescues us with his love. Verse 5, because our gospel, Paul is saying our gospel, the good news, came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So this preacher, he's saying, you know, we didn't just speak some words to you, but there's some powerful things happening when we preach about Jesus as king. And we gave our hearts into this message, this preaching experience. He's going to share later in chapter 2 that not only did we share the word, but we shared our lives with you as well. And I think this is a reminder for us as preachers. You know, this is a live, dynamic, beautiful story, and we should look like and act like this has changed our lives. And so he's saying this deep, deep conviction is accompanying this message of the good news that we're sharing with you. Phillips Brooks, an American preacher from years ago, he wrote down the lyrics for... O little town of Bethlehem, Phillips Brooks, American preacher, he said something like, if any man be called to preach, do not stoop to be a king. There's a high calling of preaching the good news of Jesus. And he's saying we share not just with words, power, Holy Spirit, deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. I'm grateful that he reminds us that suffering comes with joy through the Holy Spirit. We usually think those two things do not go together. Severe suffering through the joy of the Holy Spirit. Only through God's joy does he help us in those times of suffering. And so that severe suffering, I just wonder if he's got Jason in mind as he's writing this letter. He brought us into your home. Did you realize it was going to take you to jail potentially? They, that mob that came? Severe suffering. Sometimes following Jesus gets us into some trouble. Sometimes it gets us into trouble. Martin Luther He said, if Christ wore a crown of thorns, why should his followers expect only a crown of roses? Following Jesus is difficult. But he says that you followed even in the midst of severe suffering. So one way that Jesus rescues us, he rescues us with his love. Second, Jesus rescues us with faith. Your work produced by faith. Verses 7 and 8. First Thessalonians. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. He starts out in verse 6, you became imitators. Then it says you became a model. And then it says the Lord's message rang out. It's almost like a pathway of discipleship he's highlighting for us. You imitate what you see in other Christians, in their preachers, in God himself, Jesus. So we imitate, then we start to model for others. This is how you follow Jesus. 
imitate, model, and then the message is going to ring out everywhere. It's just people are going to everywhere know. Do you see? Imitate, model, and then just, it's everywhere. And so I just want you to think about, you know, who are you imitating? Who are you modeling for? And how is it ringing out? Thessalonica was in a very strategic place in the Roman Empire. It was on that Ignatian way. Some of you guys have studied history, you know, the Via Ignatius, I think that's how it said, the Ignatian way. So it's their, it's their interstate. It was the main roadway through the, the, the um, Roman Empire. But it also was on the coast, and it had a great sea harbor. And so they put a, the Romans put a naval station there. So it's at the crossroads both of land and sea travel. Very good spot in the ancient world. And so it would be common for the message to ring out because this was a strategic place in the empire for travel to come to and fro. And so Paul, good, smart guy, said, we probably better plant a church there at the crossroads. This was where their social media happened. It was right there on the Ignatian Way. People from everywhere are finding out this family of believers in Thessalonica, they love Jesus. And it's becoming evident, not just in, in Macedonia and Achaia, that would have been their surrounding areas, like counties, but it's everywhere. And I'm thankful that we have an opportunity, even Berlin Christian Church, small town USA, to be able to be a witness and a resource for other churches in our area by our faithfulness to God. I don't say that in a braggadocious way, but let's be a healthy church that can help others, that we can be a witness to both our neighbors and the nations. And so I think about imitate, model, ring out faith. He says your, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything else about it. We got to take some students to Ozark Christian College uh, a couple months ago for a Tuesday tour. Some of you were there on that tour. And we uh, visited uh, chapel. They had church on Tuesdays, like they do most days during the semester. And one of my friends, Doug Welch, was preaching uh, at Ozark that day. And it was about witnessing, to share people about our love for Jesus. And here's, here's what his sermon was in a sentence. The more we talk about Jesus the more we talk about Jesus. It just kind of has a contagious effect. He says, the more you talk about Jesus, the more you're going to talk about Jesus. And I guess the converse is true too. The less you talk about Jesus, the less and less you'll talk about Jesus. So as followers of Jesus, are we sharing our love for King Jesus? The message is going to ring out everywhere like a trumpet is what the picture is. So both uh, love, faith, Jesus also rescues us with hope. Verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. Remember, they welcomed them into their homes, even if it got them into trouble and post bond to get out of it. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. I have another three-part thing. We've got, you know, imitate, model, and ring out. But he's also, there's another three. It says you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait with expectancy, anticipation, Jesus coming from heaven. 
And so we've got this picture of, of, of turning, serving, and waiting. Turning from idols. Turn from idols. If you would have walked through Thessalonica in Paul's day, there have been idols. I mean, just tangible, physical statue idols. Okay? Pretty common in the Roman Empire. Okay? We still have idols today, don't we? They're in our towns. A lot of times we give money for them, don't we? They might even be in our houses. Things that take first place over King Jesus. And so we've got to be careful. It says, you turn from idols to serve the living and true God, which kind of makes the idols seem to be dead and false if God is living and true. Idols are dead things that promise life with lies. God is living and true. Idols are dead things that promise life, but Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead. Idols are dead. Jesus is alive. In my one-year Bible reading plan, I was in, first, I was in Psalm 115 as I was studying this text. Psalm 115, verse 8, it talks about idols. It says, those who make them idols are, will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Psalm 115, verse 8, danger for idols. You follow idols, you're going to be like them, which means dead and lies. So they turn from idols, serve the living God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. That's a topic we don't like to talk about too much, is it? The wrath of God. We don't want to scare people. Well, it's good to be reminded of the wrath of God. We serve a God who is holy and just and pure, and he does not uh, tolerate sin. And there is judgment for evil. I think it's important for us to remember that. And so if you go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it kind of highlights what this wrath of God may be like. Colossians 3, I just have to turn one page into my Bible. Colossians, Thessalonians, right there beside each other. Colossians 3, 1 through 6. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, that's another word for Christ, is Messiah or King. When Christ or your King, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Remember, we're waiting for the appearing of Christ. Just like at Christmas they were waiting. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature or the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. The Gospel of John also describes how to escape the wrath of God. It's in John chapter 3, verse 36. John 3, 36, just 20 verses after that beautiful verse, for God so loved the world. In John 3, 36, we hear these words. John 3, 
36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So it's a good reminder that God does punish evil. Tom Wright says, Sometimes people ask how a loving God can also be angry. Looking back on the inhumane and brutal 20th century, one has to say that a good and loving God must be angry when faced with such wickedness. So what idols do we need to identify and turn away from? What service to the living and true God can we give? And how are we waiting expectantly for our rescuer from heaven, Jesus, the living one? In January of 1945, there were 513 prisoners of war in the Cabana Tuan prison camp in the Philippines. For January 1945, these prisoners had survived the Bataan Death March of April of 1942. D-Day had happened six months earlier. The tide had turned, and the Japanese had instituted the kill-all policy with the prisoners of war camps, thinking that they were going to get into some serious trouble if word got out how they were treated. And the Allies set together a rescue mission 121 Army Rangers, 14 Elite Army Alamo Scouts, and 250 Filipino guerrilla fighters to go against six to 9,000 Japanese soldiers to rescue these 513 POWs. Prior to, the, as they began their mission, the commander said, we're going to go find the chaplains and pray, and you're going to get on your knees when we pray. And they met with their chaplains, got on their knees, and they prayed. Before they go off on this mission, they had to go 30 miles behind enemy lines to get to this well-guarded prison camp. Six to 9,000 against less than 400. With some aerial diversions, they were able to rescue those 513 POWs, one of the greatest rescue missions of all time that was successful. Many of these POWs were so emaciated they couldn't even walk out. And there were guys that were carrying one and two guys on their backs. They loaded some of them on carabao carts, and those were not very fast, but they were able to get them to safety. Their rescuers had come and Paul says, we await our rescuer, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. I'm just trying to think about what they were thinking. How were they waiting in those POW camps? It had to be a pretty intense longing. Maybe today. Hopefully today they will come Hopefully they won't forget us. But you also got to remember, there had to be some very dark times where they wanted to just give up hope. But hope arrived. And for us, followers of Jesus, our hope has come in Jesus. The victory has been won. But we still await 
his coming to rescue us, to bring us home completely with our Heavenly Father. Jesus is our rescuer who rescues us from the coming wrath of God. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help us in this window of time between your first coming and your second coming. And Lord, as we prepare for your first coming at Christmas, help us to also have another eye toward the future. Because you could come back today. Pray that we'll be ready. We thank you for your grace and your gifts of love and faith and hope. I pray for your strength. And Lord, for those who may have never accepted you as that gift of salvation, never claimed you as our rescuer, I pray that your spirit would communicate clearly to them in this moment so that they could step out in faith and receive you. For many of us that may be discouraged right now, I pray that we would find that hope in you, King Jesus. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus who conquered the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us joy in the midst of suffering. Amen.